Well, hey, please take your Bibles and find with me Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We're going to pick up right where we left off from last week. It's good to see you. Hopefully more will trickle in as the morning goes on. That's okay. We have a lot to cover, and so we need to get started now. As you see on the screen, the title of the message this morning is Signs and Wonders, and we've reached the part of the book of Exodus that is probably uh, the most popular section, probably the most well-known section in all of our culture, and that's the plagues. God visits Egypt with great judgment and what he calls signs and wonders. God is about to show Pharaoh, Israel, and all of Egypt in these plagues that he is the true God of all creation. Now, what we need to know before we get started is the context of Egyptian mythology and Egyptian religion. Egypt had a pantheon of gods and goddesses. They had their own creation story. They had their own concept of the afterlife. And there were many, many gods and goddesses that ruled over different aspects of their life. So there's a god of the fields, and there's a God of the storms, and there's a God of the river, and there's a God of the sky, and there's a God of the earth, and there's a God of the underworld, and there's a God of the sun, and all of these different things in life has a God or a goddess that demands devotion. So what we're going to see in the story is that God is going to show himself superior to the gods of Egypt. So we're just going to kick it off with the first cycle of plagues. So we see here in the, maybe this is working, maybe not. It's not, okay. So you're gonna see on the screen in just a moment, but there's three cycles of plagues. So uh, there's 10 plagues. We're gonna look at the first nine this morning because the 10th plague, Passover, is worthy of a sermon in and of itself, and you'll hear that next week. But today we're gonna see three cycles of three plagues. And within each cycle of plagues, we're gonna see something happening. Obviously, throughout all nine of these plagues, God is going to be judging Egypt. He's going to be hardening the heart of Pharaoh. But we're gonna see maybe some, some specificity within each one of these cycles. So the first cycle, blood, frogs, and gnats. Moses and Aaron obey God's command to go back to Pharaoh and ask for Israel to be let go. And if you look at verse 17 in chapter seven, it says, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. So these plagues exist primarily so that Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel will know that the God of Israel is the Lord. Remember, back a couple of chapters ago, when Moses and Aaron first went to Pharaoh and asked for Israel to be released, Pharaoh's response was, I don't know the Lord. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this God of Israel, and so I'm not going to listen to him. And so these plagues are evidences, they are signs for Pharaoh to learn who is the Lord. So the first plague is turning the Nile to blood. And Moses and Aaron tell Pharaoh what will happen if he doesn't let Israel go. All the Nile will turn into blood. And that's exactly 
what happens. Not just the Nile, but all of the water in Egypt turns to blood. Now, there are two things that we need to see in this plague, two images that I think are helpful for us to remember. First, in Exodus 1 and 2, once the decree went out for all of the Israelite baby boys to be killed, they were drowned in the Nile. And so I have to think that one of the reasons why the first plague, the first judgment against Pharaoh and Egypt is to fill this Nile with blood, to remind them of their sin, to remind them that they are the ones who filled the Nile with blood. And so that judgment is coming back to them. But also the image of the god Hapi. Hapi, H-A-P-I, if you're writing down notes. Hapi is the god of the Nile. And Egyptians would worship Hapi and pray to Hapi and, and bring sacrifices to Hapi so that when the floodwaters came, the Nile River, River would uh, feed and cause the crops around the Nile to grow. So Hapi, the god of the Nile, is slaughtered before Pharaoh. The God of Israel is seen as supreme over this God. So Moses and Aaron do what the Lord commands. There's blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But find with me verse 22 of chapter seven. Verse 22. After Moses and Aaron obey the Lord and the Niles turn to blood, it says, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So the magicians are able to do exactly the same thing. They're able to take some water and turn it into blood, or at least by their secret arts, make it seem as though they have the same power as the God of Israel. And so Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He goes, that's, that's, just, a, that's just a trick. That's just some, some magic that you have that I have as well. I don't have to follow you. I don't have to listen to you. So the magicians harden Pharaoh's heart by doing the same thing, at least in theory, as God. But the other thing we need to notice in turning the Nile to blood, it says in chapter seven that the fish in the Nile all died. The water is turned to blood. And so there is a kind of damage that's done to Egypt as a nation because of the dead fish and because of the river that is turned to blood. And that's the economy of this prosperous, powerful nation is being threatened, it's being damaged. And so we're gonna start to see this theme play throughout these plagues that Egypt is going to come to ruin because of these plagues and because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. So that's the first plague. Second plague, chapter eight, verses one through 15, we find frogs. Look in verse one, he says, the Lord said to Moses, go in and say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go, they may serve me, but if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and in your houses of your servants and your people and in your ovens and your kneading bowls. I mean, they're everywhere. There's frogs, right? Open up your sheets, frogs. Open up your oven, frogs. <laughs> Take out your kneading bowl to make some bread, frogs. They're just everywhere. So Moses and Aaron give Pharaoh this chance to let Israel go and Pharaoh refuses. And so in verses three through four and in verse six, frogs come upon the land. Now, what you and I may think of as a, just a, a really 
crazy inconvenience because there's all of these frogs everywhere. Egypt would have tied some, some spiritual significance to this because frogs were considered sacred animals in Egypt. So you may have heard in Hinduism, uh, Hindus would consider a cow to be a sacred animal. And so you don't damage a cow. You don't do, you don't do any kind of harm to a cow. If there's a cow in the middle of the road, you, you stop and let it pass and you, you don't do anything to it. In the same way, Egypt would have considered frogs to be sacred animals. So, so think about this. If, if I'm not to do any harm to these sacred animals and now they're covering my whole life, I'm now stuck. I can't get them out of my bed. I can't get them out of my oven. I can't get them out of my kneading bowl. I and mean, they're just everywhere. And, and I can't do harm to them because they're a, a sacred animal. So to have a swarm of frogs in Egypt would have been an unbelievable nuisance. Now, later on in this text, we see that the magicians are also able to add frogs. Out of the Nile, the magicians bring frogs. But, but here's what we see in verse eight. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. These magicians were able to add frogs, but they couldn't take them away. So the, the, the Pharaoh goes to Moses and Aaron and says, look, I, we don't know what to do. We can't take away these frogs. Help us. If you will plead to the Lord to take away these frogs, I will let Israel go. And Moses agrees. He cries out to the Lord. And you would think that the frogs would just go back into the river. But that's not what happens. No, God kills all of the frogs. All of the frogs that have now completely swarmed the people of Egypt die. Now, that's a mess. That's a mess of slaughtered sacred animals from any perspective that I look in my life. They're, they're covering my life. And there is a fertility goddess in Egypt named Heket, and she was often depicted as a frog. And so Egypt would have immediately made the connection that the slaughtering of all of these sacred animals around them was the defeat of Heket. So now Egypt is left with mounds and mounds of slaughtered sacred animals. Why does he do this? Look at verse 10. He said, tomorrow, that's Pharaoh and Moses talking. And Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. God is doing all of these things so that Pharaoh will be without excuse that the God of Israel is the true God. But after the frogs die, we learn at the end of chapter eight, or the end of verse 15 rather, that Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them. So remember, Pharaoh has said to Moses, if, if God will remove these frogs, I will let Israel go. And now the frogs have been removed and Pharaoh says, never mind, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna keep my word. I'm not gonna keep my promise. I'm not gonna let Israel go. So that leads us to the third plague, the plague of gnats. And we see this just in verses 16 through 19, but there is no warning for this plague. God does not send Moses and Aaron to give Pharaoh a chance to let Israel go. Instead, the gnats just come. Dust around and in Egypt, turns to gnats. He says, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land. 
And all the, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand and with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. There were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Then we see in verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The magicians in this first cycle of plagues are defeated. They are taken off of the board. They, they may have started by being able to do something similar to the plagues of God, but by the third plague, they can, they're convinced. We can't do this. We can't hang with this God. This is clearly the finger of God. It is his power at work, something that we do not have. Because they might be able to take water and turn it red, and they might be able to bring frogs out of the Nile, but they can't create life from non-life. They can't find dust and turn it into living things. And yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. So that brings us to the second cycle of plagues, flies, livestock, and boils. We see this from Exodus 8, verse 20, down through chapter 9, verse 12. So the Lord continues to show his power and might in the life of Pharaoh and in the nation of Egypt. He already has defeated the Egyptian magicians, but now the plagues will intensify. So this fourth plague flies. Moses and Aaron call to Pharaoh again. They give him another chance. They go to Pharaoh and say, let Israel go, verse 20, so that they may serve me, says the Lord. The reason why Israel needs to be released from Egypt, the reason why Pharaoh needs to let God's people go is so that they may serve him. Remember, God is doing all of these things so that Israel will be his people and that, they would be, that he would be their God so that they might worship him because of the redemption that he provides for them. But Pharaoh refuses. And flies, as it says in this text, maybe in your translation there's a different word for flies, but the literal word is swarms. Swarms. Fill Egypt. And just so that we're aware of like what we're talking about here when we think about flies or swarms, there are swamps and marshes in the lower lands of Egypt that have a kind of fly that many scholars think that this is what the swarm would be that would be very similar to what we would understand as a horse fly. I don't know if you've ever been bit by a horse fly. It's no good. They hurt. And so it's not just like inconvenience, nuisance flies around. It is something that can do damage. And so this swarm of flies is threatened. But listen to this. Listen to verse 22 of chapter 8. This is the, the new thing that's happening in this new cycle of plagues. God says through Moses and Aaron, but on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So in this new cycle of plagues, God says to Pharaoh, I will make a distinction between my people 
and your people, the land of Goshen and the land of the Egyptians. To further show his power, God will protect Israel from the coming plague. The land of Goshen will not be struck by flies. And as we'll see later, it also will not be struck by the fifth or the sixth plague as well. God is after his glory in the hearts of the Egyptians. And he shows favor to his people Israel for them to see. God is the one who creates a distinction here. He knows who his people are. Now, when these swarms of flies come to wreak havoc on Egypt, we remember, or we learn this morning, of Wajet. Wajet, W-A-D-J-E-T, a goddess known as the Lady of the Marsh. She ruled in the lower marshes and swamps of Egypt where the swarms would grow. And so in this play, God is showing that he is the one who rules and controls the swamps and the swarms, not the lady of the marsh. And it says here in verse 24 that the great swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servant's house and throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined. And it's to the point where in verse 25, Pharaoh calls to Moses and says, go sacrifice to your God within the land. So, so Pharaoh says, look, okay, the flies, this is bad. This is not good. Uh, Moses, Aaron, y- you guys can go worship the Lord. You can go sacrifice to the Lord, but stay here. Don't, don't go anywhere, just stay here. You see what he's trying to do? Pharaoh is trying to negotiate with God. He's saying, I know that, I know that you said that they need to go away into the wilderness to worship you, but l- what if you just left them here? They still be my slaves. I can still have control over them, but they can, they can worship you here. But God does not negotiate. We read here in this text that God commands that Israel must go on a three days journey into the wilderness. And Pharaoh seems to relent. And Moses asks for the flies to be removed. And they're removed. The flies go away. But Pharaoh hardens his heart yet again. Look at verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Over and over and over again in these plagues, we see that Pharaoh's heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And if you remember, if you were here in equipping groups just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the language of uh, what Moses uses when he talks about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Not only is it a stiffness, not only is it that he is becoming desensitized to truth, that his heart is literally becoming hard, but in a very real sense, his heart is becoming heavy. That the words that Moses uses interchangeably to talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart both imply stiffness and weightiness or heaviness. And you may not think that that's important, but again, I told you at the beginning, Egypt has a concept of the afterlife. Their mythology says that when you die, your heart will be weighed against a feather. And if your heart is lighter than a feather, it proves that you were righteous, that you were good, and that you can enter into their version of heaven in the afterlife. But if your heart is heavier than a feather, you will be doomed to the underworld and you will not get to enjoy eternal life as a righteous person. So so think about what's happening here. God throughout these plagues is hardening, is making heavy the heart of Pharaoh. He is condemning Pharaoh according to his own understanding, not just God's understanding. 
Well, that leads us to the fifth plague, and that's the death of the livestock in chapter nine, verses one through seven. Again, God, through Moses and Aaron, go to Pharaoh, threatens a disease on the livestock of Egypt, but he promises that God will not harm the Israelite livestock. And what happens? Pharaoh refuses, the disease comes, the livestock die. It says in verse six, the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Moses sent, and Pharaoh sent rather, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Very quickly, we need to say, the word all here is a little hyperbolic. It's, it's important for us to understand this, that we're thinking the totality of livestock in Egypt have died because of this disease. And if we read just the plain reading of verse six, and the next day, the Lord did this thing, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. We would assume, just reading that verse, that there is not one animal left for Egypt. But we need to understand that Moses is not intending for us to understand this as this kind of precision sentence. He is trying to help us understand that, that the livestock of Egypt have been decimated. And the reason why we know this, and the reason why it's important for us to understand what Moses is intending to communicate rather than what we think he's communicating is because when we go down to the plague of hail in just a couple of verses, we will see that more Egyptian livestock are killed. Well, how can that be if all of the livestock are dead after the fifth plague? And the answer is because Moses isn't intending for you to think that literally every single animal died. He's saying all of them, man, man, they're all dead. As in this kind of hyperbolic statement of saying, clearly the plague has destroyed the livestock of Egypt. And we use collective language like that all the time. See how I just did it? I don't say all the time, meaning literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I say all the time, meaning I regularly say it. We understand that the word all there doesn't literally mean every second of every day. And in the same way, that's not what Moses is intending to communicate here either. It may not be a big deal to you, but as we think about hermeneutics and how to study the Bible, if we come to it with a very wooden understanding of interpretation, we're gonna to get to the seventh plague and see hail and see that more livestock die and be really confused and think, is this an in inconsistency in the Bible? Is this, does this make us think that the Bible isn't really true, that it's not accurate in what it teaches? Because just a couple of verses ago, it said all died. And now it's saying that more of the all that died have died, right? It can get confusing really quickly. So fifth plague, all the livestock died, meaning they were decimated. But the fact remains that the livestock in Egypt was dwindling. And therefore, like the Nile plague, Egypt's economy is continuing to be destroyed. I can't go to the market and sell the meat of goats and bulls if I don't have any goats and bulls left. And I can't feed my family if I can't buy food to eat. Now again, there are more gods that are in sight here for God and for 
Moses, the god Apis, known as the divine bull, and Hathor, the goddess of joy, love, and childbirth, often depicted as a cow, of all things, would have come into the Egyptians' mind if they walked out of their houses and saw all of their livestock dead. They would have immediately thought that these gods should have protected these animals, but God was defeating these deities. That brings us to the sixth plague, plague of boils. And yet again, we find ourselves at the last plague of a cycle and God without warning plagues Egypt. So another plague without warning against Pharaoh, there is no opportunity for Pharaoh to miss this plague. He says in verse eight, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Pharaoh throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust all over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in the sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So remember, Goshen is being protected. The Israelites are being protected. They're not gonna suffer from these sores, but all the people of Israel, I mean, all the people of Egypt, rather, are going to be affected. Verse 11, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils became upon, came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. These magicians have been missing for the last couple of plagues, but now we see them completely unable to stand before Moses because of the severity of their sores. So God, the one who is really in control, the one who really has power, has not only caused the magicians to recognize that they're defeated, but he has brought them down low. Now there are many, many gods in this section in this plague that could be in view here, but we might think more primarily of a goddess named Sekhmet. And I'm gonna read from somebody way smarter than me about this goddess. Her name means powerful and usually is interpreted as the female powerful one. She was a goddess of destruction and healing, of desert winds and cool breezes. So what's happening? God is through Moses throwing this dust in the air, the breeze catches it and it turns into destruction. God is showing that he is the one who destroys the health of Egypt by dust in the wind. But Pharaoh's heart continues to harden. Well, that takes us to the third cycle of plagues. So in the first cycle of plagues, we see the defeat of the magicians. The ones who seem to have power in Pharaoh's court are defeated. In the second cycle of plagues, we see that God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt, between his people and those who are not his people. And in the third cycle of plagues, we will see things intensify even more. We will witness, if we read, a sort of decreation of the nation of Egypt. And we will witness God's power being recognized by the people in Egypt. So let's start in verse 13 with the seventh plague of hail. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Yet again, God is clear in his intentions. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you hear the key that's 
being said here by God, I have raised you up, Pharaoh. I am the one who made you king. I am the one who gave you your position and authority. I am the one who is doing all things. Why? So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. But rather than exalting God, Pharaoh exalts himself. And so hail is coming and it will wreak havoc on the land. It will be greater than anything that has fallen on Egypt since it was founded, God says. Since before the day of this nation's founding, nothing has been like this. Now, this is a direct attack against Egypt's creation story. There was a god, a sky goddess named Nut, who created and inhabited the sky in Egypt's mythology. And her companion, Geb, was the god of the earth. So Newt and Geb, sky and earth. And so this plague of hail and fire falling from the sky and destroying the earth would signal chaos and destruction between these two companions. They were together as God and goddess. Hail from the sky would destroy the earth itself. That's what's coming. But look at verse 20. Something, something shifts here in verse 20 with these plagues. It says, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. You see what's happening here? By plague seven, the servants in Pharaoh's house begin to realize maybe we're not on the right side of this thing. Like maybe, maybe Pharaoh is not the hero we think he is. Maybe the God of Israel is the one with all power. Maybe he is the one worthy of worship. And so because they feared the word of the Lord, they obeyed his warning and said, I don't want my servants and my livestock to continue to die, so I'm gonna bring them in. They knew that when God said something would happen, it would happen. And so thunder, hail, and fire rained down on the land. I won't read the text, but long story short, the hail struck down animals, plants, it broke trees. All of life on the earth itself was being undone by God's judgment. Life itself was being snuffed out of this creation. And yet, Israel was untouched. Verse 26 tells us, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. So Pharaoh comes to plead to Moses and Aaron for the hail to stop. Moses says he will plead with the Lord, but then he says here in, verse nine, in chapter nine, he says to Pharaoh, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. So Moses says, hey, I'll ask the Lord to stop the hail, but I know you. I know how this is gonna go. You don't yet fear the Lord you just want the hail to stop. And so God relents. Pharaoh's heart was hardened again and Israel remains enslaved. Why does Moses say what he says to Pharaoh? Why does he tell him, you still don't fear the Lord? You're asking me to go to God and tell him to stop, but you don't fear the Lord. Why is Moses saying that? Maybe it's because Moses remembers how God told him this whole thing would end. Way back in Exodus 3, 4, and 5, God told Moses that this whole 
event would end not by hail, but by the death of a son. That the death of the firstborn would be the means by which God's people would be let go. So maybe Moses is also growing in his confidence as he sees these signs and wonders before him destroying Egypt. Now we have to think at this point, economically, Egypt is a disaster. The Nile's been turned to blood. The livestock have been plagued and killed. And now plants and trees and more livestock and more animals have been broken and destroyed. And that brings us to the eighth plague of locusts. Look at chapter 10, verse one. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. See, God isn't just looking for recognition only among the nations today. God tells Moses, I want you to be able to tell this story for generations, that all who come after you will know that I am the Lord, that I am holy, that I am righteous, that I am for my people. So just think about this. We, February of 2020, are reading these stories as a fulfillment of those verses. As we read these stories, we can remember, we can know, we can learn that God is holy, that he is glorious, that he is the God who is worthy of worship, that he deals harshly with sin, that he gives signs so that we might know him and love him and worship him. And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and threaten that locusts will come and destroy whatever could possibly remain after the hail. Verse six tells us that locusts will come as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came upon the earth to this day. Again, it's another attack on Egypt's creation narrative and how they understand their own history. There is a God in Egyptian mythology named Set, S-E-T, and he is the God of war and pestilence, and in the creation narrative of Egypt, he is kind of seen as the, the balancing God to the more positive good gods like Osiris and Horus. So you can't have the good without the bad, Egypt thinks, and so there has to be a God in creation who is more of the negative things of the, of the earth, like pestilence and war, because we have to understand how these things come to be. He was a God of the desert, who brought evil winds into the Nile Valley. And if we read this story, we see that a wind will blow, locusts will come and bring that pestilence to Egypt. God is using this power, originally attributed to the God Set, to show that he is the one who controls the winds. He is the one who controls pestilence, not Set. So the locusts come and they devour everything. And we see in verse seven of chapter 10, then Pharaoh's servants said to him, 
How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? The servants of Pharaoh get it at this point. They know. Egypt is done for. It's destroyed. It's ruined. And Pharaoh's pride and hardness of heart is gonna continue to destroy them. So Pharaoh finally pleads with Moses and Aaron, and God turns the winds around. He finally says, look, I will let you go. I will let the people go if they'll just be removed. So the locusts are removed, but what happens? The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. He doesn't let the people go. He even says in verse 17, therefore, or in verse 16 rather, Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord, your God, only to remove this death from me. You would think that that sounds like a man who is repentant. It sounds like a man who understands his sin. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But look at verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. That leads us to the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. So creation is being undone in these third cycle of plagues. We see in the story, in the plague of hail that the land is being devoured. We see in the locusts that all of the plants, all of the things that still exist on the earth are being devoured. And now in the ninth plague, Again, the third plague of a cycle, so no warning is given. Darkness covers the land of Egypt. Light itself is removed from this nation. And obviously, this is a huge challenge to their creation story because Ra, the sun god, you may have remembered that name from maybe middle school or even the prince of Egypt, by the power of Ra, right? But Ra is the sun god. He's the supreme god of the deities of Egypt. Darkness over the land means that the Lord has overruled the power of Ra. It continues this theme of decreation because the God of Israel began by filling the universe with light, but now he has removed all light from Egypt. And this plague was also a judgment against Pharaoh himself. Because the people of Egypt would have considered Pharaoh as a human manifestation of Ra. And this brings Pharaoh to his breaking point. He refuses to let Israel go. He banishes Moses and Aaron from his presence. And he promises. Verse 28. Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. So the magicians have been defeated. Distinction has been made between Israel and Egypt. And Egypt's whole concept of creation has been undone. The land is ruined. The servants of Pharaoh are now fearing the Lord rather than Pharaoh. And that leads us to the final sign, the final plague being threatened. Nine plagues, many of the gods of Egypt defeated, 
including major deities like Newt and Set and Ra, magicians brought low and convinced that the finger of God was at work. The economy of a nation destroyed, livestock and crops gone. Egyptians, again, have begun to follow the words of God through Moses and Aaron. And yet Pharaoh's heart is still hard. So in chapter 11, Moses and Aaron give the people the word that a final plague is coming. And Israel should ask for gold and silver jewelry from the Egyptians because they're about to leave. And in the first few verses of chapter 11, we don't have to read, but it says that the Lord gave favor in the sight of the Egyptians to the Israelites. And I think that's here because even the Egyptians, even the the regular Egyptians now know this is not Israel's fault. The reason why our nation is destroyed, the reason why we're ruined is not because of Israel. It's because of Pharaoh. It's because our wicked king has hardened his heart to the God of Israel. And then the plague is threatened. Through Moses, God says that the death of a firstborn will be required. Animals, slaves, even Pharaoh's son himself, no one will be spared. But again, a distinction will be made. Israel will be given a way to escape the judgment that leads to death. As we will see two of the most prominent deities in Egypt, Isis, the goddess of the living, and Osiris, the Lord of the dead, through this plague will be dethroned by the true God who has power over life and death. Decreation will be completed as the first of the living are killed in Egypt. God has performed these plagues, these signs and these wonders. And we may be thinking thousands of years later, Christians who find ourselves saved by grace through faith, living in a church of Jesus Christ that is promised and protected and has a hope and a future. And we may wonder why do we need to spend all this time this morning on the plagues? Well, don't miss why God says the plagues came so that we may know that this God is the Lord. For for many of us, if we're not careful, we will lean into the idea that God is our friend, that he is near to us, that he is close to us, that he is for us and not against us. All of those things are true, but we will, if we're not careful in our culture, we'll lean into the idea that God is our friend over against and to the neglect of the fact that he is a holy king and a righteous judge, that he is the Lord. And we need both of these things. We need to know all of the biblical truth. And what we see in the plagues is that God is after his glory and he is after justice. He is after righteousness. He is after the world knowing that he is God. I pray that we would read and study these plagues and agree that there is no one like our God.